Hey everyone, this is Lynn Bartim, and you are listening to the Apex Hour on KSUU Thunder 91.1. In this show, you get more personal time with the guests who visit Southern Utah University from all over, learning more about their stories and opinions beyond their presentations on stage. We will also give you some new music to listen to and hope to turn you on to some new sounds and new genres. You can find us here every Thursday at 3 p.m. or on the web at seu.edu slash apex. But for now, welcome to this week's show here on Thunder 91.1. All right. Well, welcome in, everyone. This is Lynn Vartan. You are listening to the Apex Hour. For those of you listening live, we are on a special day. It's Wednesday instead of Thursday. Uh, And the only reason we change days is for really special things that happen at SUU. Today is our campus-wide Festival of Excellence. It is a day where we celebrate scholarship and we close down campus so that there are no classes held. But what is instead happening are there hundreds and hundreds of of uh, exhibitions and poster sessions and students and faculty presenting their work and their scholarship that they've been doing throughout the year. It's a great opportunity to just celebrate all the knowledge that's being shared on our campus. In addition to that, we have the keynote of the whole day, which happens right in the middle of the day. Um, And then that is also our last Apex event of the season. So today we are having our special Apex Hour with our keynote speaker for the Festival of Excellence, who was our Apex Today guest today, Paula Marshall. Welcome into the studio, Paula. Thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm going to sing your praises. I mean, the awards that you have won. Currently, you are the Chief Executive Officer of Bama Corporations, which you've been there quite some time. Yes. My my parents were the owners of the business that I worked for, and my grandparents before that, my parents worked for. So it's been family generational passed down. And you have been running this corporation and the the way that you run it, which is the way we're going to what we're going to talk about, has been garnering so much attention. And um, the list of awards that you have won <laughs> and, and, and the way you have been recognized for your leadership is just astounding. I wondered if there are any particular recognitions that have been particularly meaningful to you. Well, you know, I, I, I don't seek out recognition. Um, it's, I think I'm an oddity for one thing, because being a female CEO, I'm probably one of the top two or three in the state of Oklahoma, at least, yeah. um, maybe even in the top 50 of women uh, business owners in the whole country. So we're, we're a different breed. We're, we're not very, it's very unusual. Yeah. A lot of times when I would, would go places, people would look around for, where's your husband? Where's this? Right. Where's that? You know, he must be the one running the business. So, and, and actually my dad kind of fostered that, that girls don't run businesses. It's too hard, you know, this and that and the other. But, you know, thank goodness at the time that he was sort of transitioning or beginning to transition out because he had a major illness. Um, my mom was, was, my biggest champion and he was a big champion. And she said, you know, this is women's lib. And my dad never even knew she even thought about that kind of stuff. He's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, well, women are doing all kinds of things now. So I think we need to give her a chance. Yeah. And so I took a servant leadership mindset into my leadership style 
And I think that has um, also been different. Yeah. So I think when the people come with the newspapers or the, you know, the magazines, they want to do a story, they find so many unique things, not only from being a woman CEO of a large, large company, private company, but also my management style, the customers we do business with are global uh, corporate, you know, food companies. And, um, the rigor of which you have to approach doing business with companies like that is very unusual also. Right. So I think I have a bit of a uniqueness that kind of draws these things. But to answer your question, I was probably the most honored when one of my very good friends in the state, her name's Kathy Keating, her husband was governor about uh, two terms ago. And uh, we've just been friends. We've grown up in high school and all kinds of stuff. And she called one day and she said, I don't want you to get all excited about this, but I'm going to nominate you for the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. Wow. And she starts reading me all the people that have won and all these different, and I'm like, no, <laughs> you're not going to do that. She's like, yes, I'm going to do it. But she goes, the downside is hardly ever anyone wins the first time that their name gets put in. So she said, I'm going to work on this process. I'm going to do it with your assistant, and and I'll let you know how it goes. So about a month and a half later, um, my assistant's looking all over for me. And of course, where am I? It's Friday afternoon. It's five o'clock. I'm playing tennis, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's like, get her on the phone. So they come and get me. And I'm like, what is going on? So he puts Kathy on and then the president of this organization in Oklahoma. And they're like, you've been chosen. And I was like, what? Wow. And they're like, you've been chosen. You're in the Hall of Fame. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's probably... One of the more um, shocked and surprised yeah. wow. I've been, so that probably makes it special. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That's Thank amazing. You. Thank you. Well, it wasn't the original plan for you to take over this company. Not uh, at all. And that's the, how the story goes. So I want to know, when when it became clear that you would take over the company, what were some of your feelings? What were some of your anticipations? I mean, were you were you just super excited? Were you super scared. Like what were some of those early feelings and impressions? Well, my dad was supposed to work another 15 years and I was just actually getting out of college and he had this debilitating heart attack. So our family was faced with a decision. And then about a month later, my brother, my oldest brother um, was also having heart problems at, at like 45 years old. So both of them went out for protracted periods and it was kind of my mother and I kind of holding the ship together. And then the guys at McDonald's finally found out, and that was our largest customer at the time. And they said, what is going on down there? Where is everybody? Yeah. You know, that was at the time when you that kind of felt like you could kept, keep things under the rug. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess we probably kept things under the rug for too long. And so they finally came down and said that we want to know what's going on, all this. So they brought a few people in to actually look at the company because they were like, what are we, this is not, what is, you know, you've got you, the guy that's been around the longest is sick. You've got, you know, another brother that's not capable. You've got me too young and a girl. So they kind of just dismissed me. Right. And so after that happened and they started bringing people in to sort of look at the company and my dad started getting upset about it because he's like, well, how can you just dismiss her like that? You know, like, that's not right. And so he then turned his whole opinion around and started fighting for me. So the last time 
uh, he had an, uh, a meeting with them and they were bringing in someone else and they were kind of getting more and more upset with my dad saying, you've got to pick one of these people. He finally looked at the, the head of McDonald's and said, you know, we were eating three squares before you guys came along and I'm sure we'll be th eating three squares when you leave. <laughs> And he said, I don't want to sell my company and my daughter's going to run it. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. <laughs> that's great. That and is great. And then it was about the time in the early 90s when affirmative action was starting to oh, yeah. kind of come around. Yeah. And there were a lot of, like, Title IX things going on in colleges and things. And McDonald's hired a chief diversity officer. Oh. And they came down and we worked on a plan where we I could buy my dad out to you know the percentage that was needed and i could take over the operating capacity at the company so while all this was going on i was kind of caught up with all that and i really didn't have a lot of time to think about it right right but once he was actually gone because he physically took all of his stuff out of the office my mom everything and they moved to florida <laughs> and like... i was like oh my gosh <laughs> so i kind of adopted this crazy management style because my dad was like the all-knowing kind of the being that hung right, around that right. knew everything and about everything that was going on, had all the answers. So everyone always came into his office and just looked at him like he was this demigod, you know? And so they started doing that to me. And I'm like, why are you all looking at me? Uh, you know, like we're talking about doing whatever we're talking about. And they're like, well, you're the boss now. You're supposed to know. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I we've got to figure this out together. So I started asking questions of people when they would come into me, like, and we'd sit down and talk about things. I'd go around a table. Well, what do you think we should do? Well, what do you think we should do? And, you know, we'd kind of get consensus that way. And I'd say, okay, that sounds good to me because yes. I didn't know any better. Right. So it started, like, blossoming, this style of managing in Bama. And it was, like, so quickly taken up by our team members, and the transformation was so... People were so excited about actually contributing mm -hmm. and not just being told what to do all I the time. I love it, yeah. So I realized I had kind of stum stupidly stumbled onto something, um, not trying to like really, I wasn't trying to game anybody or do anything like that. I was just, I just said, you know, we all are better together if we think collectively mm -hmm, together mm -hmm. and not one person singled out to have all the answers. Yeah, I love so, it. That's, that's how, how I kind of started doing it. And I never really had a whole lot of time to be afraid. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that's so cool. Now, for any of our listeners who maybe don't aren't familiar with the corporation, can you give us a little snapshot about, you know, what Bama is and what it does? Of course. Well, my grandmother was the founder of the company, and she uh, was born in Dallas, right outside Dallas in a town called Winsboro, Texas. My grandfather and her met in Texas. And her family were like, they were farmers also, but they farmed cotton. Mm. My grandfather decided he wanted to take my grandmother away from the all the relatives that were in Winsboro. And he moved her to Dallas and said, we're going to start growing sweet potatoes. And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> sweet potatoes are not going to grow here. Like this is not, and, he's, and he wouldn't give up. And they keep having more kids and more kids and more kids. And finally, she's like, I'm going to go get a job because <laughs> we can't survive like this. So she wa went down the road to this Woolworths drugstore yep. down the road. And Woolworths, I don't think, exists anymore. But at that time, they were like Target or Walgreens yeah, right. or something. Except they had soda fountains inside of them. Right. 
with little chairs and you could get a milkshake or a malt or a sandwich or the short order cooks cooking the burgers and all that stuff. Well, they hired my grandmother um, and she knew a lot about baking and she was a baker. So she started baking the pies. She said, you know, we don't have any pies here. So the owner was like, sure, just whatever you want to do, Bama. Started calling her Bama. And so she was making these pies. And then one day, my grandfather came down to the store and he saw these lines that went around and around the building, like two or three deep. And he followed it all out and he's looking and he's like asking people along the way, like, what are you doing here? Why would you wait in line so long? And they're like, oh, have you not had one of those pies that that lady makes in there? And we think her name is Bama. So as he's going around talking to people, he gets this idea that when she comes home that night, he's going to ask her if she'll make him some pies. <laughs> and so he's going to take them around. So he made this, well, she got home and he'd made this little picnic basket. And he said, I've got this great idea, Bama. He goes, if you just make me six pies every day, I'll put them in this little basket. She's looking at this thing going, oh, my gosh, okay. Shouldn't be too too big of a deal. I'll make six pies for him. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. He comes. She comes back the next day. He's like, I need 12 pies today. Oh I've, my I've run out of pies. And so <laughs> it went on like that. And then finally, my dad, who was eighth grader at the time, he dropped out of school to help make pies. Oh, my gosh. All the kids were back. So they had to get a store. They had to get a bakery. And then they got trucks. And then they just... And then in 1958, my father, who had moved to Tulsa to bring the business to Tulsa, met this gentleman by the name of Ray Kroc, who was the founder of McDonald's Corporation. So he... And my dad started talking about desserts, and Ray didn't have a dessert at that time. So he said, look, I want a certain kind of product, and if you'll make it for me, I'll give you all the business. You'll always have it, all the business. You'll never have to worry about anything else in your life. And my dad's like, okay, sounds good. Yeah, right, sign me up. <laughs> at that time, there was only one McDonald's, though. Right, right. So he he believed in Ray Kroc, and Ray Kroc believed in my dad. And to this day, you won't go into McDonald's anywhere in the world without a, an apple pie in it. Wow, that's amazing. One and of Bama your pies. makes them all. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> and you have uh, factories or shops everywhere, mm -hmm. really, all yes. over the world, right? We have four facilities in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We have uh, f four facilities in China. Uh, from Beijing down to Guangzhou and in Wuhan. And then we have a facility in Wrocław, Poland. Oh, wow. And two facilities in the UK. One's in Belfast and one's in Wales. Wow, that's fascinating. So yeah. you're managing all of those. Yeah, oh, it's that's quite so fun. Cool. Well, thank you for that snapshot. Um, I'm going to play a song now. And okay. then when we get back, I really want to get into some of the specifics of your leadership style and all of those kinds of things. I'm so excited to learn more. Thank you. So I have been listening. Well, you guys know who listen to the show that I love world music. Okay, that's true. I also love Eurovision. Uh, that's also true. And uh, one of the bands that I got really into last year was um, is, is Goa, which is G-O underscore and then a capital A. And they are a Ukrainian band. So um, I, as one might expect with everything that's going on right now, I've been really cluing into, you know, how they are doing, where they are and all of that. And um, I have a couple of songs. Uh, I have Ukrainian pop for you. Um, the first 
first one is by Goa, and it's actually a, a recent release of theirs. And I wanted to just do a special plug because if you purchase this song online, um, they will make sure all the proceeds go uh, to the war efforts. Uh, so the song is called Kalina, K-A-L. Y-N-A, and the band is Goa, G-O underscore A. So check them out. You're listening to KSU Youth under 91.1. Well, welcome back, everyone. That song was Kalina, K-A-L-Y-N-A. The band is Goa, uh, G-O with an underscore and then a capital letter A. Uh, please go try to think about buying that tune. All the proceeds go to the war efforts in the Ukraine. And that is uh, one of the Ukrainian bands that kind of made a breakthrough last year on Eurovision. 
Back in the studio with me is Paula Marshall, uh, the CEO of Bama Corporations, uh, and we are talking about uh, leadership and uh, service-based leadership. So welcome mm-hmm. back, Paula. Thank you very much. So let's talk a little bit about the principles of uh, you know what it really means to to be a servant leader. And I wonder if you might, um, what the way I'd like to ask it is, okay, so let's say you're training someone to go into a company and, and start to put some of these in place. What are some of the key principles for a, a leader to take a look at? Well, I was just talking to some of the students after the, the talk and they were asking me about, you know, internships and coming into a company and being the low man on the totem pole and, you know, how do you make an impact and how do you get seen and this and that. And I, I said, what so many, what so many young people miss is just the fact of if you get hired to do something, come in and, and serve the leadership, serve the company and, and just do what you're asked. And I, I would say, 99% of the reason I'm here right now is because my father told me what he wanted done. I asked a few questions and then I went and did it. And then I reported back. Yes. And he was so impressed by that. And to me, it was like, this is kind of basic, but nobody ever does it. So yeah. they people ask people to do stuff all the time. And then unless the owner or someone comes and follows back up, Amen. I know what you're saying. No one ever comes back. So I said, if you will do those simple things, you know, listen, learn what they want you to do. Just do it. Don't ask questions. Don't try to come in with all these. I've got a better way or this, because a lot of times people get ingrained in what they want. Yeah. So to break that down, you have to show them and demonstrate that you're willing to do what they want first, even if you have a better idea. Exactly. So, I recommend you go in and do what they want. And then when you're following back and circling back up, that you say, well, I noticed it was a little easier if I carried the bucket over here rather than here. If the bucket had this rubber hose on it, it seems like it'd be easier. Maybe we wouldn't have so many accidents. And all of a sudden, the leader's going, oh, my God, nobody ever told me that's what was causing all the accidents. Mm-hmm. Yes, let's go put rubber hoses on every bucket. Yeah. Next thing you know, you're the rubber hose, rubber bucket guy. You yeah, know? Exactly. And you made the world so much easier for yeah. everyone else that ever had to do that job. Right. And they will love you for it. So you'll get little assignments like that that you won't even realize you're getting pushed up the pole. Right. But until you kind of give up that ego and and sort of put your own personal interests behind and say, I'm coming in here to learn and have fun and and be a great servant mm-hmm. to the organization. That's my only purpose here as an intern. Well, you, you also talk about this component of fun. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so do you subscribe to this idea that if you are doing something you love, you never work a day in your life? Does that ring true for you or is it a different version of that? Absolutely. I mean, people always ask me, you know, well, when are you going to stop working? When are you going to slow down? When are you going to do this? And I'm like, never. <laughs> <laughs> because every day that I do what I do and I'm able to interact with people and help others and learn what what's going on in society in the world i it's joy filled for me mm-hmm. so i don't i don't look at this as a burden i look at it as a way to help people and that's truly our mission statement in bama is people helping people be successful yeah that's what we do every single day whether it's a customer a supplier a team member our you know our community um 
our resources, whatever it is, we're making that particular thing successful. So that's why a lot of these things fit together, but people don't have that string necessarily that they're talking about for people to make sure they know and understand this is all part of being a, a great, you know, part of the planet. Yeah. You know, because we're all here. Right, right. And we got to be good stewards of that. You mentioned the mission statement, and I've been particularly impressed that I, I absolutely love your concept of both personal mission statements and and the way you view a corporate mission statement. I think sometimes we, we hear people talk about particular corporate mission statements, and you know there, there are a lot of words and a lot of uh, expectations and a lot of things, and, and yours is got this just very profound <laughs> simplicity. Um, and so I wonder if you might talk about both personal and corporate mission statements and what your philosophy for those is. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the books I wrote was, was a, about the ego-driven corporation and how to turn corporate America into human beings, that, that this place that we all come to and we all you know lay down on the altar of corporate America, that we turn it into a feeder of the soul because mm -hmm. if we're feeding the soul of people that work for us, if we're feeding the souls of our customers, if we're feeding souls, we don't necessarily have to worry about putting up there on this big mission statement that we want to be environmentally friendly. I mean, to me, it's like nobody cares about, it. I mean, it's like you can, you can tell a team member that all day long and you know what the team members care about. Exactly. What shift am I going to be working? What are my hours? When am I going to get out of here? How much are you going to pay me? Right. That's right. right. Yeah. They don't yeah. really care about. Now, once you get them for a while and they, you show them you care about their health, you care about their safety, you, you would like for them to care about each other's safety because we can't all be there at a time when the forklift's going by at 500 miles an hour. So we, we teach and train every one of our team members in the, the whole company. You're all, we're all accountable for safety, every single one of us. It's my fault if something happens to somebody. It's our fault. It's our supervisor's fault. It's, it's something we said, something we did, and it didn't have to happen. Right. So we, I, have my, I, have, I used to have people that would come to me and say, well, don't worry, Paula, we fired that person that got into that accident. And I'm like, you did what? I mean, like, okay, so let's start. Let's go, let's start and go backwards. Yeah. So you fired someone who got into an accident, which was our fault. Right, right. And we never brought the corrective action back in. So instead of taking that person and saying, let's use this person that got hurt as a way of building in our co corrective action systems so that we don't do this again, instead of firing them, I mean, firing someone is the easiest thing. I always tell my supervisors, I mean, I run a class two times a year called Supervisor Boot Camp. Yeah. And it's boot camp with Paula and it goes on for the whole, and I just go Oh my! and gosh. they ask questions and we talk. And so they'll ask me, they'll be like, well, so do you want us just to, you know, never have any discipline? You never want, and I'm like, you know, guys, firing someone is the, you have that choice the minute you get up in the world because you have supervisor over your name. Right, right. You can fire anybody you want to. But let me tell you, the person coming in behind them might not be that good as right. they are. Then you've lost two years of work with whatever it was you were trying to do with this person. And you didn't have to do any improving in the process. Right. So the supervisors never had to get better. Mm. They never had to work on themselves. It's all, they're always too busy telling one, everyone else what they did wrong. So the first thing I do in my boot camps is start asking the question. 
what are we, what did we do wrong? Mm -hmm. What did we do wrong? Okay, guys, let's talk about this. What did we do wrong? So we would take an accident in that supervisor boot camp class, and we would all go around the room. Nobody gets away. There might be 25 supervisors in the class. I'm like, what did we do wrong? What did we do wrong? Every single one of those people has to say something that we did wrong. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So by the time you get around, everybody's got this kind of a humility factor. Right. Because the the arrows inside of us for protective reasons that God gave us are all pointed at defensiveness. Right, right. And pointing out someone else's flaws. Right. Not talking about our own. Yeah. So once I can teach that to somebody in that kind of an environment when something happens, what do we do wrong? Like we go around in our in our troubleshooting and all of our training materials. We're all going to fix these things together, but we can't fix them if we don't do it together. Mm -hmm. If we just keep constantly firing people, nothing improves. Right. Nothing. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. The culture stays toxic. Well, th that's absolutely true. And, and so I'd love to go even further with things about, you know, building culture. Mm -hmm. In what other ways can we uh, execute cultural change or how else can we make cultural change happen in an organization? Mm -hmm. Well, there are a number of ways to do it. Um, some companies, they bring in big speakers and they have like a big auditorium rented and they bring in somebody, you know, like some big star or somebody and they, you know, big splash. And I have, I have to admit, I've done those things. The problem is and what my mentor, Dr. Deming used to tell me, he said, what are you going to do when the person, the performer leaves? Right, right. So if, you're, if your top management isn't trained, and I mean, it's grueling because it's slow. Mm -hmm. But if your top management isn't trained, your little middle-level management isn't going to be trained, your next level is not going to be trained. So when all this stuff starts hitting the fan, they're going to react to their old ways of doing it. And they're going to start shooting from the hip, right. yelling at everybody, tell them, go do this, go do that. So nothing really changes except right. you spent the money on having a big flash in the pan thing event. So we, we put all of our emphasis and all of our training on all of our management at all times. Anyone new into management at Bama is immediately set up for boot camp. Okay. And the reason why I do it that way is because their ego has to get knocked down. Oh. And I hate to say it, but there is some, there is some pain in that. Yes, right. But we come to sessions where sometimes people cry and sometimes, and I'm right there with them, and mm -hmm. I'm like, I understand. You know, like you didn't survive to this moment in time in your life by accepting blame. Like you defended it because it was either your dad was going to swat you or your mom or you're running out of the house or one of your brothers or sisters are, you know, going to get you in trouble and it's everyone scared all the time. So I get it. But here we can't do that. Everyone has to internalize their role in what goes wrong. So do you define what you want in a leader or do you, uh, or in your supervisors or in your management, mm -hmm. do, you, do you define that very specifically or do you in, invite them to, to, to find that and then adapt that to what you want it to be? We used to do more of the adaption, but it's so painful, you yeah. know, to watch people break down after they've messed up because what I found is people in Bama, the worst thing for them is to disappoint me or to mm. have me, you know, come and talk to them. So we've now defined through like using our Deming knowledge, 
we've defined like seven characteristics, we call them. And within that, each one of them has an operation, operational definition. Now, oh. within that, there can be variability within that, but certain things, we want it tight. You know, like, I don't want one supervisor walking by someone, let's say, chewing gum on a line and not having the proper work attire and all that. And then the next supervisor comes by and tells that same person, what are you doing chewing gum? Blah, 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 blah. Right. And they're saying, but Joe was here right. until about two hours ago and never said, he's like, see that, that variation in management styles and in a, the abilities will just crush a person. Yes. Yes. And it takes them all the breath out of them. Yeah. So what we're trying to do in our, in our supervisory classes and our manuals is talk about these characteristics, talk about the operational def definitions, and talk about how we need to reduce variation between our supervisors. Right. Because people want to see what they expect. Yes. Right? Yes. They get used to a certain kind of management style, and that's what they come to expect. So we want to try to stay, you Within know, just that. because you're new Joe Blow on the block doesn't mean you've got to come in like, hey, yeah. you know, on your horse and right. start right. riding around, making sure everyone knows you're there, right? Right. That's the worst thing you can do. The best thing is to slide in, walk around, talk to people, learn what's going on, you know, sit in on people's meetings, sit in on, on their offices, talk to them, learn, see what you can understand, and then start trying to deploy that what we call the leadership manual can you think of it, one of the characteristics and give an example of maybe one of them yeah one of them was the one i just gave you so we're a food food facility right human safety and food safety are complete priorities right so every single one of our supervisors has to have the same approach to handling a food safety incident or uh, a, a, a safety incident with a person. Right. Everyone has to be trained in all those procedures. I now, see. is everyone going to react exactly the same? No, maybe this one's a little more scurrying around or whatever. But when the, you know what hits the fan, they're deploying the same six steps. Great. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, well, another one might be uh, these courageous conversations I was talking about at lunch. So people avoid those like the play. <laughs> they don't want to have them. It's like, oh, you know, I think I'll just do Like, well, when you get tired of working and trying to make sense, you know, you've got to sit down and have this and you've got to document it and sign and everything goes on. So we have one of our people, systems people sitting there in the room when those conversations are going on. And afterwards, they give both people feedback. So it's almost like going to a counselor. Mm -hmm. You know, it's mm -hmm. like our people systems folks are, they all have psychology degrees. I have no one in my people systems department that comes out of a traditional HR background. Mm, interesting. Because I don't want them to spew the legal, right. beagle ramifications of, I don't want any, I want you guys to go in there and sit down. Too many times in these companies, the, the people systems or the human resource departments are looked at with terror. Yeah. Like the, Keepers of the jail are just coming yeah, in, and yeah. now they're going to beat us. Yeah. And I'm like, this cannot be. Right. Like, we're supposed to be the keepers of the culture here. Mm -hmm. So they all have psychology degrees. They all have, you know, they all know how to sit with people and get the both sides of everything and then share back. And so it creates this great, like, 
well, nobody's in trouble mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because we both brought our issues to the table and now I understand it. And I know I'm coming back next month and I'm going to sit back in this room with that person. I'm going to talk about it again. Yeah. And I want to work on it in between so that it gets better. So I don't have to do that hard thing anymore. Right. Right. So it's a, it's kind of a law. It's inter, it's a lot built around human behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Fascinating. <laughs> well, it's time for another song. Good. And then when we come back, I'd like to, you know, we've been talking about Deming and the teaching of Dem, of Dr. Deming. And I'd love to sort of uh, circle back to that and get more detail from you. But in the meantime, we're going to hear another Ukrainian band. This band is Odin E or Odin V, Odin and Canoe, uh, K-A-N-O-E. And Odin is O-D-Y-N. Um, the name of the song is, is uh, in Cyrillic. I can't... Uh, it's can't read it, but uh, everything that I've heard from this band is amazing. So check it out. You're listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1. Чим прийдеться закінчити, хвиля радісну плюскоч, та листиться до чумна, мов дитя цікаво шепче, і розпитує вона. То ти човне, що шукаєш, відки і куди пливеш, і за чим туди шукаєш, щоб робочого ще ждеш, біг мій вічний, то вже не знаю, пиляно сиді буря реве, скали грозять, надять, просять к собі береги мене. Тут думать, що тут жити, що питатися про ці, нині жити, завтра гнити, нині страха, завтра пі. Кажу, що природа мати держить нас, як їм дам трем. На в кінці мене цілого знов до себе відбере. Не хто ти човне, що шукаєш швидки і куди пливеш. І за чим туди шукаєш, щоб робочого ще житеш? Біг мій вічний, то вже не знаю, пиляно в суді буря реве. Скали грозять, надять, просять к собі береги мене. Тут човен, да не кожний жевтону Хоч би й дев'ять не вернуло, то десятий поверну А хто знає, може в бурю іменно спасешся ти Може іменно тобіся десь до цілі доплести Може іменно тобі сядеш до цілі допусти, 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 може іменно тобі сядеш до цілі допусти. All right, welcome back. So that song was uh, again, the title of it, I can't quite read, but this, the, uh, artist is Odin, O-D-Y-N, uh, and then a space and then V and then canoe, K-A-N-O-E. And as always, if you're interested in the music that you hear here on the Apex Hour, there is an open 
playlist that you can find on our website, which is seu.edu slash apex. And then you go to the podcast tab and uh, the Spotify playlist played on the apex hour is there. And you can check out all the songs that we have played on the show over the years. We are back in the studio with Paula Marshall. Welcome back. Thank you. And uh, we've gotten into talking about you had mentioned um, your work with Dr. Deming. And you worked actually with Dr. Deming, the great, uh, the great mind in leadership and management, mm-hmm. um, whose trainings I think are fantastic. And, and um, it's just wonderful to learn about. I wonder if you might share a, a few of the teachings that are of particular value to you that really stand out to you as, as pinnacles mm-hmm. for you. I get asked that question quite a bit by a lot of times our team members at Bama, you know, they'll, they'll get confused and they'll say, well, which one do I, which one do I do first? And what do I, how do I do this? And how do I do that? And I always tell people that the reason why the profound knowledge is in the four points that it is, is because he meant for you to start with number one. Mm -hmm. So let's start with number one. Now, might I think that we could rearrange them and they could be a whole lot easier and simpler and better to use? I think I could make some improvements, but it's not my work. I'm teaching his work. So we're going to start with number one. And number one is called appreciation of a system. And why I love that. And people look and go, what are you talking about? So I have a simple thing that I take people through in my classes, which is, is weight. Now, everybody looks at me and goes, oh, no. You know, all the lawyers are like, oh, no. <laughs> Here we go. And I'm like, well, listen. It's, it's a constant with all of us. It's something that we all know, something that we all sort of think we understand. Like mm-hmm. if we do a lot, we don't eat so much, we're going to have a nice weight or whatever. But it's also a regulatory part. It's a metric that comes out of our system, our body. So I like to teach people that every single thing on this planet is set up by God, I believe, as a system. So let's take weight. Weight is a byproduct of how your body's functioning, right? Right. All the hormones, all the different, you know, glands and the different parts of the body and the heart and the this and that. And one thing could be cut out and it doesn't work the same. Mm-hmm. One thing could be cut out over here and it doesn't work the same. So one of the things that I find, and especially with students and new people coming into Bama, they don't understand how to work as a system. Like if I put, if I plug them into a human body or something, they would be like looking around like, well, what do I do with all this stuff, right? right? Things would be whirling by and, and flying by and you don't know what's what. Well, that's because if you think about it, from the time we were little, the only way our parents knew how to raise us was to, it was kind of like good kid doesn't get a SWAT, Bad kid gets a SWAT. Some good kid maybe gets some money. Some good kids maybe gets more SWAT. Some gets good stuff. Take this away from this one. So we kind of learn this binary. Yeah. And we almost learn that we're in this seat by ourselves. Right, right, right. Now, there's inputs coming into it, right? Like the parents and the different discipline techniques and things. But you almost begin to think that you're you're only by yourself ever. Mm-hmm. So you get into school, you get the little kids, you get, now we get this, the grade card starting, right? Mm-hmm. Now we get 
mommy and daddy give us money if we come home with this, A. We get swats if we come home with that. And maybe we're confused. Maybe we're just, you know, we don't learn like that. Nobody be- offered to bother to ask us. Right. If we like this school or if we like that teacher, if we like that kid next to us is always poking us with something. Maybe there's something wrong with my hearing. Maybe I can't see as well. So nobody bothers to ask us, you know, what's going on in this little process here, except I get good reward or bad. So now I go up and I start working in high school. Everything is by myself. I study by myself. I do this by myself. I have these grades by myself. And I might go out and maybe work a part-time job. And there I might get told what to do. I might not get the luxury of working somewhere that says, hey, why don't you go out and work with this team of people and see what you can learn from doing it this way. So we never learn the skills. We get to college. Now, in college was where I started getting put together in groups of people. Mm -hmm. And then I realized why I never worked with groups of people because (laughs) half the people didn't do the work and I was doing all the work for them, right? right? right. Or this one's doing the work and this one's not and they're going to get the same grade as me. And so you start all this, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you almost think this team thing is a terrible thing, right? I'd rather just work by myself. So then you get hired into a company and all of a sudden... You have to depend on other people and they have to do something right. You have to do something right and pass it on to somebody else. And no one is familiar, you know, with that concept. So thinking like a system for me in the Deming world, it's the most important thing. It is one of the most important things because if you can learn that as a manager and you're going to try to make a change on a system, You cannot do it independently. Mm -hmm. The world is full of these companies that have had independent people going in and fixing stuff, and then everything else breaks. Right, 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 right. yeah. So Dr. Deming used to have this story about a hotel, and he's like, okay, before people are in there checking in, people are rude, whatever, the hotel burns down. They go and they build it back, bring the same people in. They're all rude still. So he's like, well, so... Was the firefighting, did the firefighting we did to put the fire out and bring all the people back do any good? Right. It didn't. No. It didn't change anything because we didn't change the hearts of the people. Yeah. And we didn't change the management system. Yeah. We never taught the people at the front desk that they have to be concerned about if the rooms are clean or how are the maids feeling today or did the maids show up or did they get the towels cleaned in the laundry or, you know, it's like. What's sitting on that maid's cart is a system. Yeah. Right? right. Somebody yeah. made that for that person to go into that room and be able to quickly. Right. And all the stuff is right there. Well, who designed that? That's smart. Yeah. You know? So that's what we try to do in business. We try to put the people who need to get the efficiency, clean the rooms, get we try to we have all kinds of systems and carts and stuff called 5S that the parts are hanging on the wall. And everyone knows where every part is at every second. Yep. And if someone takes something off the wall, they have to put it back. The engineers do this. The, you know, the operations guys do that. And everyone works not to get cases out the door, but to get the quality and human safe cases Mm -hmm, out the door. mm -hmm, So -hmm. if we've got a problem, we want everybody on the line to stop. Yeah. To stop. Right. 
it's better if you just stop and they can do it themselves. Yeah. So people start feeling, so that's part of being a system. Yeah. It's like, they're not afraid. They're not separate from management. Mm-hmm. They're kind of all part of it. I love that. I love systems. I love all. That's one of the things that I was really drawn to with the Deming uh, yep. leadership model as well. What's number two? Number two, my favorite thing, because I have a minor in psychology, which is the human psychology part of Dr. Deming's work. So almost all of his, the first seven points or eight points deal with all the technical stuff, the SPC charts, the things you hear people talk about, the data, the operational definitions, those are all first seven. The back half of the seven to get to the 14 points is all about people. Mm. It's all rating and ranking. It's hanging up a banner to tell somebody something when you need to just go talk to them by themselves. Right. I remember when he first was doing a talk on this fear in, fear in the workplace, he said, how many of you all have banners hanging up that tell people to work safe? And I was like, oh, God. Ah. I've gone and done it now. Yep, yep. He's like, okay, everyone in here is guilty. Yeah. He said, why do you have that? Yeah. And we're all sitting there and he's like, because you're lazy. we're like well we thought it was a good idea at the time he's like it's a terrible idea and stop doing it go back and take all those signs down and instead engage talk yeah look around right see what you can do to make the work area safer yeah talk to the people yeah teach them what's an unsafe practice talk to them talk to them help them out Mm mm-hmm it makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. But how much? How many times are you in a factory or you're in a place and you walk around and you see all these dumb signs hanging up? I know. It's like I know. I, every time I see one, I'm like, oh, gosh. I yeah. wish I could go talk to the management of this organization. You know? Do you think there's one question that every leader should ask themselves regularly? I feel... I, Every day I ask myself, am I, am I being humble? Am I being compassionate? And am I finding joy in my work? And, I, and I'm ma- making sure that everyone else is joy in their work. Yeah. And it's an everyday grounding that I do because the life that we live, and I, you know, my company's 400 million, but it's, it's, a, it's like a peanut compared to a lot of places. And these guys have, you know, they have mansions everywhere. They fly everywhere in private jets. They have people that drive their cars, people that make their food, people that do their laundry, people that do everything. It's, it's not the life. You know, it's not like a real life. Yeah, right. It's a nice life. Yeah, It's sure, great. Sure. But if you don't notice that person that comes in and does your wash and cleans your clothes and makes your bed and and you don't ask them how they're doing and how's the family. You don't know their kids' names. You don't know. I mean, it's just like, I want to smack you. Yeah. You know, like you need to know these things. And people are like, why? (laughs) What do I care? And I'm like, character. uh, That's the character. They're putting you in your mansions and your private jets and your, you know, and then these are the same guys that won't spend a million dollars on training or trying to improve the health benefits of their team members or trying to sit and listen to the complaints or whatever. They just, don't want to deal with it. So you do that personal check-in every day, mm-hmm. and then you have a personal philosophy or a personal vision that that uh, is a touchstone for you throughout every day as well, which mm-hmm. I'm a huge believer in. Um, what do you do when days get hard? Because 
there's got to be those days where, you know, you, you get five problems across your desk or five negative phone calls come. Um, you know, like how, then what, what do you do then? Well, I have a really neat place in my, at my house and I, I call all my, my managers and I call maybe like 10 people and I'm like, Hey, we've, we've got some bad news today. We've had some terrible things happen. Um, Everybody, I want you guys to be out here at 3.30 or 4 or whatever. Oh, wow. And then I go buy a whole bunch of wine. <laughs> <laughs> and I put some chips out on the table and some nuts and all kinds of stuff. And people come. Everyone's down. I said, okay, we're going to pick ourselves up. We're going to make a plan. And we're going to do better tomorrow. But for now, we're going to party. I. <laughs> this is just. I love this. <laughs> I mean, the first time my boyfriend came to Tulsa, it was so funny. He came in. Uh, we'd been seeing each other for several months. And and I, you know, I, I don't talk a lot about what I do and all that. So he comes to the house. And he's like, hey, sweetie, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And I go, oh, we're having a thing here at Ford. And he's <laughs> like, what? What are we doing? I said, oh, well, you're going to get to meet all the managers in, the, in Bama. And he, they're all coming. He's like, what, what for? What, what, what happened? What's going on? Did you just get a new big contract? I said, no, we just had a crappy day. Oh, my and God. We're going to we're going to celebrate the crappy days just like we celebrate yeah. the good ones. I <laughs> he love has that. never quit talking. I'm sorry. I keep bumping this. No, no. He's like, I love that story. I'm never going to not tell I, everybody I know about that. He's like, I got in and they're all drinking wine and partying and playing pool and oh, shooting darts. And, you know, that's fantastic. It's, it's just, you got to have joy. Yeah. And yeah. you have to have joy from the bad things. Too. Yes. 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 What, what do I learn? What do I learn? Well, that was, that is hugely inspiring. <laughs> Thank oh you. my gosh. Well, we are already to our, my last question. And that's the question that I ask everyone. And it's, um, Basically, it's, you know, what's, you know, like what's turning you on this week? And it can be anything. It can be a song. It can be a, a book. It can be a magazine, TV show. It could be, we've had someone even say their favorite lipstick. It can be a food. It can be anything. It's super casual. But we ask everyone that, and it, it's just kind of a little personal way in. So, Paula Marshall, what's turning you on this week? Well, I'll tell you, flying in here, um, the scenery in this gorgeous place, uh, seeing all those those beautiful mountains and this gorgeous place is, is kind of takes your breath away. Yeah, thank you. We so, are so lucky with all wonderful. that beautiful red rock around us. It's, so. it's amazing. Well, this has been just so awesome. You are so inspiring to me thank as you. a leader, uh, as a woman with strength and, and just so fun. And your energy is just infectious. So <laughs> thank you so much for being here. And thank you for spending the time. Thank you. I love it. Awesome. We'll see you next time, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. Come find us again next Thursday at 3 p.m. for more conversations with the visiting guests at Southern Utah University and new music to discover for your next playlist. And in the meantime, we would love to see you at our events on campus. To find out more, check out suu.edu apex. Until next week, this is Lynn Vartan saying goodbye from the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1.